You are now listening to the people of digital marketing with your host, me, Kenny Soto. This podcast is your source for marketing strategies, tactics, and most importantly, career advice from the best digital marketers in the world. From B2B to B2C, startups to Fortune 500 companies, and everything in between, I interview experts in marketing so that we can grow to become better marketers together. If you're a marketer who wants a leg up in this space, well, guess what? You're in the right place. Thanks for tuning in. Oh gosh, that's so tough. Uh, I think it depends on the kind of person you are. Um, And maybe that's why you're split 50-50. I can't be a specialist yet, purely because I think I would get bored. (laughs) Like, I don't think I want to know every single in and out nuance of like automotive demand generation. Like that's just, that's very niche, (laughs) very niche. But like when you are a specialist, you are very valuable, uh, to, to organizations that need that kind of skill set. I think as a generalist, you can also be incredibly valuable at a different kind of business. And because I like the earlier stage startups who are trying to like find product market fit and cement themselves as like a player in a space, being a generalist is a competitive advantage because I have empathy and understanding and tactical experience doing a wide variety of things where I can own it to start and then delegate it out uh, once it's been sort of like evolved and the foundation has been set and know like what good looks like without having to execute it on my own. Um, and I think for for the career path that I'm trying to build for myself, which is marketing leader, uh, team leader, um, being able to recognize and understand what good looks like across an entire marketing org is, is really helpful because mm-hmm. I don't need to know how to produce videos, <laughs> but um, what what the structure should look like how we should position ourselves, what we should do with distribution of that video. I, I do know what good looks like. And so that's why I skew more towards generalists for myself. Uh, but I think there is an absolute benefit to being a specialist and like knowing your shit, like the back of your hand. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, of course you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> cool. Those yeah. like came out and I was like, oh no. You just heard a clip from my conversation with Sarah Pion. Sarah has spent the last 4.5 years growing her career in B2B SaaS, starting in technical support and moving into growth and demand generation for marketing across high growth companies like Drift, Alice, Voiceflow, and now Dandy. She has a proven track record of fostering community within a customer base, scaling marketing teams, and acquiring and activating users. Outside of work, she has an amazing podcast that I listen to, on personal and professional growth with her co-host, Bridget, called Self-Control and Cheese. When she isn't working, Sarah likes exploring Denver and boxing. Now, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to do this episode with Sarah because she has a lot of marketing experience, but she also has experience working with high-growth companies. And some people say that they work with high-growth companies, but just with Drift alone in her resume, she actually has done that. And we talk a lot about professional growth as a marketer and is a startup at any stage really appropriate to join 
based on what you want out of your career. So we dive into both how to approach growing as a marketer, but also how to evaluate if a company is even worth joining. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I really did. And after listening to this, definitely subscribe to Self-Control and Cheese on any podcast app that you use to listen to your podcasts. And without further ado, let's tune in. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. I am a big fan of yours because you post a lot of great LinkedIn content and you host a, you co-host, excuse me, a really great podcast that we'll talk about later. But for the audience, I wanted to quickly start off by just getting a general sense of why did you get into digital marketing? That was really nice. First of all, I'm flattered. Um, but I, I studied business in college um, and I liked the one marketing course that was required for my business degree. It was mostly accounting and finance focused. And I'm very right brain, left brain balanced. So I like to be analytical and get to a right answer, but I like to be creative with it. Um, and that's kind of what I saw in marketing in my business courses. I didn't really see that in finance where there was like one right answer. I didn't really see that in like organizational behavior that was more like HR. Uh, and so I, I graduated being like, I think I, I think I want to do marketing, but I don't think schools did a great job of teaching me what marketing really was. Um, and I was really lucky to get my first job out of college at a startup called Drift, which was kind of reinventing what marketing was at the time. Um, it was being done in a very traditional way that was very company centric. Um, and Drift kind of tried to turn that around on its head and say like, hey, as marketers, we should actually be a applying our tactics to buyers and trying to bring buyers in. Uh, and I thought that that was a really cool, just like way of doing business that I had never seen before. Um, I, I started at Drift as a, a technical support representative because I just wanted to get into that company. Um, and they weren't hiring for marketing and they weren't hiring like any other entry level rules, but I got to create content. I got to write help docs. Um, and I got to talk to marketers all day about how they used a marketing software. And that gave me a ton of insight into the kinds of problems that marketers were solving. And I loved troubleshooting with them. I loved trying to figure out how we could get them to the solution to their marketing problem with our software. Uh, and so that's kind of what spurred like a little spark inside of me of like, I think I want to do that because I really like the problems that these people are solving. And I, I think that I can help them solve those. And so that's kind of what got me excited about the, the possibility of joining a marketing team. And you were at Drift for a while. Yes. And I'm assuming you, it was a great experience learning, networking with amazing people. I, I was listening to a previous podcast episode of yours, and you mentioned that there, there seems to be a moment in your career when you're at a company, you've made an impact, but at a certain point, you want to start over, do something else. When is the right time to leave a job you used to love? Oh my God, that's such a good question. It's so like nuanced. Uh, Drift provided me with like the most amount of growth opportunities that I've ever, that I've since received from a company. I was there for almost three years, um, nine months into my role as technical support. I, I did get brought onto the marketing team and I got to be a digital marketer working with some of the best marketers in like the business to business software space. And that was like 
incredible. It was amazing. And where I got to sit was being the person who used Drift for Drift. So I was like our systems administrator, but that came with a lot of creating content, talking to our customers about best practices, talking to our prospects about uh, the possibilities of the tool. And so I got to be super cross-functional. And so I felt like my impact was incredible. And especially as an entry-level marketer, I was like, this rocks until (laughs) I wanted to be more than the bot girl. I, I wanted to experience more of marketing uh, that wasn't just the one channel that I owned. And as I was growing, Drift was also growing. So I started at Drift when they were 35 people and I left when they were 400. So I saw like 17 different <laughs> like uh, moments that could that you could enter a business at. And so when I left, the marketing team itself was very channel specific. Everyone owned their one thing And they were a subject matter expert in that one thing. But I was 24. I was still hungry to learn about other parts of marketing. And I felt like I couldn't with the way that the team was structured at that moment because everyone was supposed to be like the sole owner of their thing um, and like really run with it, which is an amazing opportunity to like know your stuff. And if you want to go super deep on uh, an aspect of marketing, I would recommend joining like a larger business, larger marketing team where you can get that like insanely deep knowledge on your area of expertise, but I didn't yet. (laughs) I had only experienced one part of marketing and that was, you know, like inbound conversion. So anyone who came onto our website, it was my job to get their email one way or another, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether that was a newsletter, a webinar, a demo, signing up for a free product, something else. I got really good at that, but I wanted to know what else there was. And so that's kind of how I knew it was my time was I like to build and I like to be kind of, um, I like to have a wide swim lane, if that makes sense in terms of my responsibilities. And so I'm an earlier stage startup kind of girl, uh, because I like to be on a, a nimbler team that, uh, I have an area of focus, but it's a few different channels that I could impact for one, one metric. And so I also wanted to test myself to be like, was I just in the perfect situation for me or can I actually be a marketer? Um, and so that was kind of like the, the turning point for me of like, okay, I can either like build an entire career around conversational marketing and building bots uh, and, and what Drift was all about, or I could learn more about this function that I was super passionate about that I had only just scratched the surface on. And and I wanted to dig deeper into marketing as a whole. And so that's kind of what led me to to make the next move. But what I had gotten from my experience was like, I felt like I had made the impact at a company. Like I felt like leaving people would be able to be like, oh yeah, Sarah, she did X, Y, and Z thing when she was here. And like that made a difference. Um, And that's like a big measure for myself of are people going to talk about the work that I did, even if I'm gone, uh, is like a good uh, motivator for me to find the areas of impact that at a, at a business and make sure I'm involved in those sorts of projects. But then also, like, am I learning what I, am I learning what I want to learn, and am I solving the problems that I want to solve? Um, because not every area of marketing is going to be as exciting as other areas for you. So that's sort of what what drew me to find a new opportunity in marketing after my first one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. And 
I think you do have to taste several things to know what you like, what you don't like, what you're strong in, what you're not. I asked this question a lot in past interviews because everyone seems to have their own take on it. And so far it's still been 50-50 split here. When you're starting off as a marketer, should you start off as a specialist or a generalist? Oh gosh, that's so tough. Yeah. Uh, I think it depends on the kind of person you are. Um, and maybe that's why you're split 50-50. Um, I can't be a specialist yet purely because I think I would get bored. <laughs> like, I don't think I want to know every single in and out nuance of like automotive demand generation. Like that's just- That's very niche. <laughs> very yeah. niche. But like when you are a specialist, you are very valuable. Uh, to to organizations that need that kind of skill set. I think as a generalist, you can also be incredibly valuable at a different kind of business. And because I like the earlier stage startups who are trying to like find product market fit and cement themselves as like a player in a space, being a generalist is a competitive advantage because I have empathy and understanding and tactical experience doing a wide variety of things where I can own it to start and then delegate it out uh, once it's been sort of like evolved and the foundation has been set and know like what good looks like without having to execute it on my own. Um, and I think for for the career path that I'm trying to build for myself, which is marketing leader, uh, team leader, um, being able to recognize and understand what good looks like across an entire marketing org is, is really helpful because mm-hmm. I don't need to know how to produce videos, <laughs> but um, what, what the structure should look like, how we should position ourselves, what we should do with distribution of that video, I, I do know what good looks like. And so that's why I skew more towards generalists for myself. Uh, but I think there is an absolute benefit to being a specialist and like knowing your shit, like the back of your hand. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, of course you are. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> cool. Those yeah. like came out and I was like, oh no. Um, but yeah, like there, there is definitely a benefit. I, I think like, especially as you become older and you grow in your career and you find that thing that you want. Uh, even if you want to be like a VP of content, not necessarily a VP of marketing, like that specialization is important to make. Um, and so you want to go somewhere where there is a built out content team. Uh, but for me, I think right now, uh, head of marketing is what I'm working towards. And I'm trying to be in the most cross collaborative pieces of marketing that I can without being an expert in all things marketing. So I'm not, you know, like an SEO expert. I'm not a creative at all, (laughs) like at all. Um, But I like to be in like integrated marketing roles where I work very collaboratively, either in those areas because someone needs to own it or like with the people who do own it. So I get that empathy, understanding of what it's like to do that thing and how it impacts my work. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I'm a generalist by nature, but I see the value of both. It depends on who you are and what you want. Yeah, it definitely depends. And I can attest for myself too, because that's I have a similar goal of becoming a head of marketing for a team as well. Nice. You don't necessarily need to be a channel expert, nor should you be, but at least you should have some experience in each specific function to the degree where you can delegate, but also collaborate and know how to vet other people who should be the experts in their channel 
Yep. That way you're building the right team because it's really like a people game once you are at that level and you have yeah. to make sure you're recruiting. It's it's HR recruiting. It's not just being in the weeds where you might be used to that experience if you're, if you're at the beginning of your career. Mm-hmm. I've listened, and I'm just being candid here, to one episode of your podcast at least four times now because <laughs> I learned a lot from it. And it's it's relatable, not only to myself, but there's a lot of people right now who are looking for new opportunities. Mm-hmm. The job market is in in two ways. One way would be like, there's a lot of opportunity out there, but then the other part is some of those opportunities might be sprinkled with like lots of fluff, but when you smell it, it smells really bad. And you <laughs> gotta be able to like sift through the nonsense. So in your episode with, I think his name is Adam Gauthier, you talk about different types of startups and the advantages and disadvantages. That's something that I haven't been able to cover with previous podcast guests. That's why I wanted to cover this with you right now. Could you walk us through, well, let's start with seed stage. What are some of the pros and cons of joining a seed stage company? Yeah, so seed stage, you are basically part of the founding team. Like they this, this team is really new. They've gotten basically like an initial investment to prove that their product has customers en masse. Like that's kind of the goal of uh, going from a seed stage to a series A is like, okay, let's find the channels where our customers are, figure out like how we can get them to come to us and convert and like monetize that. Uh, so it's like super foundational and the work that you do directly impacts the company. So that I think is a pro. Um, it's such an area of opportunity to test and immediately see the impact of your work, especially as a marketer earlier on in your career where you're like, I don't know what's supposed to work. So let me just test a few things and see what sticks. There isn't a culture of reporting. There isn't a culture of, um, you know, like root cause analyses. It's just like, let's figure out this together. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's really exciting for someone who wants to have a decent amount of autonomy. So I would say if this is going to be your first job out of college, like you're, you're not going to have a manager looking after your work every single, like with every single thing that you do, which is really intimidating, uh, especially when you're not totally sure, like how to operate within a company as, as a new grad or as someone who hasn't like done marketing before. So if you are like very fresh, very new, I wouldn't suggest seed stage only because I would want you to have like mentorship and structure and management. Um, but like second or third career in marketing, insanely powerful to like legitimize your experience, uh, and to get, to get to that level. I would say cons is you have like no resources. (laughs) Yeah. And you have to move fast, like really fast. You have to move real fast. Um, everything is going to be broken a little bit. Um, and, you have to kind of be want to be like a builder versus an optimizer. And I think if you like join a company at like a certain stage and you hate it, like that's okay. You've learned like that's not a failure failure of like a, a job experience. But like I would say caution on the seed stage is yeah, you'll have a lot of autonomy, little to no resources, uh, but like a wide open space for you to like do whatever you want. Um, I would say. Uh, as like a pro tip for seed and series A companies, if you can find a space that you're also passionate about, that's going to be an insane growth lever for the company because you know where the customers are because you were there. Um, I, 
in the in the job that I'm in right now, like there is a large community of people who are excited about this product. So we've brought on a lot of people onto our team who are previous users to help us build this company. Very which smart. Is such a competitive advantage, but also like their insight is invaluable to us because they were on the outside and now they're on the inside. They know how a customer thinks. Um, so being as excited about like the founders about the product and, and the space is like such a hidden advantage. I wouldn't say it's like necessary, but it's, it's cool. And uh, definitely plug that as like an advantage of hiring you if you are interviewing for companies like that. Um, moving to series A, you've kind of like found product market fit. Like you have a good amount of customers and now it's like, okay, how can we build like a repeatable motion of mm -hmm bringing in money, uh, whether that's like a sales team, a free trial, uh, a free product where you like get people to upgrade without anyone kind of talking to them, but it's more like product focused. Um, that's, this is where like the builders start to like lay the foundation for processes. They're not going to be the processes that exist forever, but like, it's going to be the start of like, should we have campaigns or should we work in sprints? What does our like monthly reporting cadence look like? Are we tracking any data at all? Like we should start, now's the time to start. Yeah. So that we can base our processes off of that data because we know historically what we've done and what worked. Um, so series A to series B is really setting the foundation of like, can we, can we double uh, from what we did in seed? And can we create a process that helps us like double or even triple? Um, and so that's, that's really exciting. You have a little bit more resources because you've just raised another round. Um, generally, there's going to be a few more people on your team versus just being a team of one or two. Um, and you're going to start to have swim lanes. Like it's not going to, you're not going to be like two people splashing around in a pool, uh, but the swim lanes are still going to be quite wide. Um, so like, for example, I joined a post series A startup. I own content community and user activation. Um, so that's like, three things that all feed into each other very nicely, but like yeah. also like full-time jobs each individually. <laughs> so um, it's kind of just like determining what you want to focus on as a team and then leveraging the channels that you have to move forward towards that focus. It's a lot of starting to say no, whereas before you were saying yes to everything. Um, post -ser Series A companies, I would say, you know, um, you don't want to be on the founding team that's like really scrappily hitting the ground and trying to just like scrape any users that they possibly could. Uh, but there's like a process in place. That's kind of where I like to, where I like to come in. Um, just because like there has been a foundation that has been laid that I can build on instead of having to like pour it myself. Sarah, before um, you get into series B, I just wanted yeah. to quickly jump in and ask another question that I, I think would be very beneficial to the listeners. How do you say no to people who, and by people, it could be senior leadership or it can be mm -hmm. just other people who are tangentially working on the same mission. How do you say no when everyone's trying to give you the best ideas that they're sourcing? I think it depends on, on your level. I would say like up until I got to the level that I am right now, which is like senior manager, director, I was saying yes to everything. And that, that was an incredible like career accelerator because I was seen as a resource, like, oh, you want to get something done? You go to Sarah. I see. Um, and that sort of like legitimized my role within like marketing uh, and within the company, especially as a marketer, if you can help sales and customer success get their shit done, 
they're going to publicly appreciate you. And I'm extrinsically motivated. I want to be told I'm doing a good job. Um, and so specifically helping sales and mark er, sales and, and customer success. Um, up until you get to the point where you're also defining the strategy. Um, if someone else is defining the strategy, I would say like take those side projects and get that experience and help your, your colleagues and be that resource for people. Uh, but when you get to the point where you're now in charge of strategically executing, where you're not only defining like what your goal is, those channels that you're going to use to get there and like the tactics, but then you're executing on those things. That's when focus kind of comes into play and you can start saying no, because you've done the research yourself to be like, here's why we're going to focus on this thing. Do you think that that is more valuable or less valuable than what you're pitching to me right now, because I would be happy to slot this in as long as you're okay with one of these things dropping. Um, but that doesn't have to come in your career until later. So I would say like even first four or five years that you are, you are in a marketing org, say yes to some side projects, like try, try and become that resource because being the most helpful person in the room is always going to be to your benefit from a career perspective, but also from experience. Like you get to say you've done so many things. Um, once you get to like operating at like a little bit higher cruising altitude, that's when you can find the reasons and the strategy and the data to be like, no, and here's why, or not right now, but it's going to come at this time. And like, it's going to be freaking sick when we, do, when we do it this way, because we're going to have all of this like historical work that's going to make it way more powerful. Um, and contextualizing why you're saying no, or not right now, especially with sales are like, great. Sounds good. Love it. Keep doing you like, love you. Have a great one. Uh, and with CS kind of helps them understand and like communicate that back to their customers of why we can't do that thing right at this very second, but we'll have these resources like flowing in, like as they start to, you know, use the product more. So I would say you don't have to say no all the time, especially earlier on in your career, but there's that weird inflection point. And it happened to me like earlier this year, it happened to one of my mentees like this week where everything that got you to where you are today stops being as relevant because you moved to like strategy. Um, Which is a completely different beast. Yeah. so different nobody tells you it's going to happen it just kind of like evolves into it especially in startups or like tech companies in general uh, so if you're feeling that right now or you have experienced it totally normal it usually goes away within like six-ish months when you're like really deep into like the strategy work and you're excited about it but that mindset shift of your day-to-day -day is like off-putting a little <laughs> where you're like oh I feel like I might fail because I'm starting to say no now and people are going to hate me. And it's like, no, they won't. They won't. You're yeah. okay. <laughs> Let's talk about series B. What are some pros and cons about joining a series B company? I haven't had experience with joining a yeah. series B. I've only done seed in, in series A. So Drift was series B when I started, but they were, they got a good amount of funding just from the legitimacy of their founders. Um, the, the foundation in terms of like the product, the marketing, it, it wasn't really in place at that time, but it took them a while to raise a series C just because they didn't really need the funding. Um, and so what kind of happens at a series B is like, there are more, there's a little bit more bureaucracy that happens. Um, you have like a process that is, taught to new hires. So everyone is following processes. There's project management. There's um, ways in which like requests are brought up to your team. Uh, and you're kind of working through like defining now, like what is 
what are the themes that you want to operate within on like a monthly or quarterly basis that is going to then define like the marketing work that we do. So it's a little bit more like seed in series A, the, the work they do is a little bit more around like product launches and then setting the foundation. Um, with series B, the foundation has been set and now you're building like strategic branches of your marketing organization. So uh, people are starting to define like, okay, here's the quarterly focus versus just the monthly focus. Then, you know, you're doing a little bit more planning. You have more like regularly scheduled programming that you know works because you've been working to like map back that data and understand like, okay, like we know that if we run three webinars in a quarter, like we that are all in partnership with like other members of our space, like we can hit like an MQL goal because we also have like the nurture running and the this running and the that running and the this. Um, so it is a little bit more formulaic in nature, which is great for people to learn, you know, like what should be included in the work that you do to get from series A to series B. Uh, so every company that you join can help give you context of what should happen in the stage before, which is cool because uh, it kind of just helps you like figure out, okay, this is what we're working with right now, but there are still things that we need to build up. Like we need to have a really strong webinar arm and we really have to have like a strong like do we even have a nurture? No. Okay. Let's like build that out. Like, do we have, um, like we've been emailing customers, but not on like a regular basis. So, um, that's sort of where series B comes into play is like your foundation is like rock solid. And now you're building the individual rooms and you're not decorating yet. You're just like building the frames. We're going with this house motif yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Sarah, yeah. just because there's other great questions I want to ask you, I just yeah. wanted to get your sense of Series C to IPO, yeah. pros and cons from like a general perspective. I think there's a pro. I think like uh, seed to series C, you see a company go from zero to 10 slash 15 million ARR. Um, that is like a very specific stage of a company going from 10 to 50 and then 50 to 100 and then 100 to a billion are completely different like mindsets within an organization. Um, I would say like starting in one will give you context for what needs to happen in the one before it. And so it all can be contextual and helpful to help you understand like what your next step wants to be and should be. Um, I think like 50 to hundred and beyond is very much so op like optimizing processes. You're not really building much. You're just trying to make everything more efficient. Um, and that's like a very specific skill set. Subject matter experts come in. Uh, anything before that is like the build phase of like, let's set the foundation. Let's start doing this thing, start playing around with this channel uh, and trying to define like a good, just like process for it. So that's kind of where like up until series C, what you'd be focusing on and then optimization post C. Makes sense. What does a toxic job offer look like? It can be tricky. It can be sneaky. Um, they, it's not always like, they're not always going to be like, yeah, you're going to work 80 hours and like, we're not going to compensate you. <laughs> but I would say um, you can, you can start to understand uh, like what a potential and like toxic can, can also be individual for me. Like, I don't want to work at a business that doesn't have a strong product direction. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's toxic, but like if the leadership isn't focused on product, it's not really going to be the company for me. Um, it's not going to be like innovative in the way that I want it to be. It's going to be very like customer focused, but um, I would say if they're not willing to 
budge or talk about the compensation earlier on in the process, that's a little bit of a red flag um, because a job pays you money. Like, yes. not, like compensation is is like weird to talk about because it feels inappropriate, but like you are, it is an exchange of goods and services. And that exchange needs to be defined like early on in the process. Like what is your expectation for this and have the company say it first. If you start, you can always, like you always want to lowball yourself, have the company tell you like, what is the salary band for this role? And if they're unwilling to, to tell you that information, that's a little bit tricky. Mm-hmm. I would say similar with um, just like financial information in general, like asking questions about what does your, what does your runway look like? Especially when you are going to these earlier stage startups, like how much cash do you have right now to exist? And for how many months? <laughs> like, what does that look like? Um, what does your like burn rate look like? How much are you spending a month? Um, and not exactly knowing the answers to those questions and what is quote unquote good and what is quote unquote bad, because you can go home after that conversation and like Google it and be like, is $10 million a month burn rate good? No, probably not. If you are a small company, that's a lot of money to spend in, in one month. Um, but having a company be open and transparent in the interview process means that they're going to be open and transparent when you are an employee, they're trying to put on like their best face in the interview process. And if you can't get like crucial information about a company and how it operates in the interview process, when they're trying to like make it look very nice and flashy on the inside, then I can only imagine what they don't tell their employees on the inside uh, and, and the lack of transparency that comes from leadership. Um, Asking your manager or your future manager, uh, how many of your direct reports have you promoted in the last six months? I love that question. That's a great question. I I love that question too. Uh, But also, you know, like asking, like, what are the projects that people are working on? How are they gold on those things? And if they're not really willing to to give you that insight, it's a little tricky. Or if they haven't promoted anyone and they blame their employees for it, like, okay, I'm going to have to fight tooth and nail to be promoted at this company. Like, I'm I'm not really into that. Um, So there are like questions like that that you can ask, depending on how the company reacts, can show you like, okay, am I walking into a company that like actively cares about their employees or like is super shiny on the outside because they're a literal dumpster fire on the inside. (laughs) I have a few more questions. Can you tell the audience about Self-Control and Cheese? Sure. Um, Self-Control and Cheese is a podcast about professional and career growth, specifically in the tech industry. Um, The name would not describe it like that, but it like came out of like a joke and we just kind of ran with it. Um, I do it in partnership with Bridget Putker. We met when I was at Drift and she was at G2, which were like two pretty like big tech giants that were really growing quickly um, in up like up until basically the pandemic. And we both actually ended up leaving our jobs around that time. And we just had a lot of things to say about career growth. Uh, And a lot of the people who talk about career growth haven't been in it for a while. They're like VPs or executives or C-level where they don't remember these like weird nuances that happen like one day where like all of a sudden nobody's giving you feedback on your work because they just expect you to run with it. And like, that's so strange and you don't like, you don't know if that's normal or not. So we just started to like talk about it. Um, and that's, that's what the podcast is about. So every other week we have a longer episode. that's like 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, and then every other week we have a hot take that are like three to 10, uh, where they're just like a spicy quick, like, Hey, this is normal. We're not going to elaborate. <laughs> Let us know if you have any questions. 
this is, I asked this knowing that it's very broad and vague. So bear with me. No worries. Generally speaking, what are some skills that you think any marketer should learn as they grow into the expert that they're trying to become? Um, cross team collaboration. Uh, I think marketers get really stuck in their marketing world very easily because marketers are supposed to cause like to create attention. And so it's very easy to just focus on marketing. I think there's a huge competitive advantage to be able to, to being able to talk to engineering, for example, uh, and talk to product and get an understanding of like, why did we build this thing in this way? Like, okay, great. That will help me with positioning. That will help me in talking to our customers. Uh, and engineers always think that they're the smartest people in the room. So when you can talk their language, they have innate respect for you, uh, especially with like a soft quote unquote uh, job like marketing where there isn't like a, as much of a technical element to the role. Um, so gaining the, the respect and the trust for engineering is like super cool. Um, and especially if you work in marketing technology or like you work very closely with the, the engineering team or the product team, being able to, for them to see you as a peer, a resource, uh, like a legitimate uh, member of the team is like, is great. I think anyone can be taught how to administrate a platform. I don't think that that's something that's like insanely necessary right now because you can learn it. There are free courses, um, but it's hard to teach like interpersonal communication and relationships. Um, I would say the last thing is like data analysis and data comprehension. A lot of marketers like to say that we're data driven, uh, but then we don't want to like do our own like root cause analyses or our own a number because it would be hard to put the the infrastructure in place to track everything. Uh, but knowing like how things are tracked, how things are going, why a number is the way that it is, instead of having to rely on marketing ops or data science to get you that answer, gives you a more holistic view of how your work affects so many other parts of the business. Because marketing affects the business and like the money that a business makes. And especially in a startup, when you get to have that like closeness to business operations, being in partnership with engineering data uh, and like infrastructure can be super helpful for pulling strings, getting like extra financing, getting just like legitimacy, just like having internal fans within your company so that when you do do something, like people understand why it's important and are pumped about it. Uh, so that's like the internal marketing of just like kind of networking within your company uh, and learning how to work with those people. I think like is, it feels obvious, but it's not always done. Um, it's not always done and it's hard to do remote. So like, it's okay if you don't do it immediately. Before I ask my last question, would you say that internal marketing becomes even more important the more senior you are? I think so. Yes. The more senior you are, the more that you're cross collaborating, not only with other seniors in marketing, but other seniors in sales and CS and product. And so, uh, marketing itself is always going to get a lot of requests, but if you don't fulfill those requests or you say not right now to those requests, you have to be able to explain why it's so important that you're doing something else. Um, and so internal marketing and being able to storytell on why you're doing what you're doing from a data perspective, from a customer experience perspective, from a product roadmap perspective makes marketing the leader of the business uh, and has people on board with what you're doing so that 
on sales calls, your sales team is talking about what's upcoming from the marketing team and on your onboarding calls or your checking calls with the customers, the CS team is like, oh, the marketing team is working on this really cool thing. You're going to be pumped about it. Just like stay tuned. Like they start to do the marketing for you. So yes, definitely. My last question is hypothetical because time machines don't exist. Okay. But if you can go back into the past mm-hmm. about 10 years, mm-hmm. knowing everything you know right now, how would you accelerate the speed of your career? I would probably try and find an internship in tech versus uh, in business school. They teach you that consulting or accounting is success. Um, I did not know that I could work at a technology company. I did not know that startups were even a thing. Um, And so if I could go back 10 years, I, I was still in high school, but even just being like, Hey, by the way, like you should be a business major. You become a business major, but like, don't be scared of being a business major. Also, like get an internship at, at a tech company, like that is building technology. Uh, you'll get hands-on experience knowing how we treat our co-ops and our interns. They have a seat at the table. Like they own their stuff because they're another body. Like we need people to help. Um, and so I think that would just get me even more excited about the future of building a career in technology. Sarah, if anyone wants to say hello to you online, where can they find you? I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter. Um, Sarah Pion, P-I-O-N-S-A-R-A. Um, easy to find on both of those things. I respond to all of my messages um, and questions and all that fun. Uh, and we just launched a job board also for, for self-control and cheese. So if you are looking for a job and you maybe don't want to apply, like feel free to, to slide into the DMs and see if I know of anyone who's hiring because I'd be happy to help fellow marketers find their thing. And I am a big advocate of self-control and cheese. So I will put some of my favorite episodes in the show notes, as well as a link to the job board so that anyone who's listening can have it handy. So again, thank you. Thank you, Sarah, for your time today. And thank you to you, listener, for listening to another episode of the People Digital Marketing. And as always, please rate us on Apple Podcasts so we can get more listeners. And yeah, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Bye. Before you go, if you haven't done so already, definitely subscribe to the people digital marketing podcast from the podcast app you're listening to this from because our next guest is saram asadi and saram is one of the best recognized linkedin experts and consultants who you guessed it help you grow your personal brand on linkedin he also helped me get my virtual assistant so i have a soft spot for the guy And I know that the next interview, you'll enjoy listening to it if you're interested in leveling up your LinkedIn game this year. So if you haven't done so already, definitely subscribe and tune in next week for the next episode, episode 87, believe it or not, with Saram Asadi. Thanks again for listening. Hey, thanks again for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to submit a rating and leave a review on your podcasting app. Reviews like this help to grow this podcast and get it to more people like yourself, people who want to grow in their marketing careers. If you want to say hello, you can find me on any social media platform by simply searching Kenny Soto. I look forward to hearing from you soon. And as always, let's keep growing together.